1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13 to 14. Those who join us online, um, we have a great word. I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. And so in verse 13, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth. And he says, and we impart this, we impart this, speaking about wisdom, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom. I want you to take notice of that. That it's not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. So that's why what you saw today was a moving of the Spirit. So it's biblical what happened today is that it was the moving of the Spirit. And so what he's saying is that for you to understand what has happened, whether in you or around you, it can't be by human wisdom. It must be taught by the Spirit. So if you're going to live a spirit-filled life, you're going to stand out. Not because something's weird with you, but because what is happening in you is of the spirit. And human wisdom can explain what is happening by the spirit. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. So Paul is explaining this. And he goes on and says, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual But he also then goes and explains for those who says, well, how come I'm not hearing this? Like, what's going on? He goes and says, well, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. And so what we're finding now is that God is moving by his Spirit, and people are going to talk you out of that. They're going to either quench the Spirit, they're either going to grieve the Spirit, or they're going to deny the Spirit. Or what's worse, they're going to have a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Is this making sense to anybody? So the moment you became a believer, the Spirit wants to influence you. The Spirit wants to help you. Come on, somebody. The Spirit knows exactly what you need. So he's saying, please allow me to help you make those decisions that you have to make. That's good stuff. He says, but the natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly or foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. If there is a gift that we need in the body of Christ right now, is spiritual discernment. To know whether what is happening is of the Spirit or it's of the world. And right now it may seem like it's really hard to determine, but I promise you this. Hear me now. It'll become easier as the days goes because you are going to see gross immorality that's going to be right in front of us. That if it's not by the Spirit of God, you will be consumed with that. You would be. You will be. And so that's why we have to understand spiritual discernment. So why have I been hammering this point about being at the table? Because the goal is by the Spirit to get you to be seated at the table. Right now, all I've been doing by the Spirit, in case you're wondering what's been going on for the last couple of weeks, is I have been yielding my heart to the Holy Spirit to get to a place slowly where you would finally then just take your seat in Christ. That's the goal of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit wants to move you to a place where you are seated in Christ. Why is that so important? It's because 
God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit wants you to walk in victory. During praise and worship, this thought came to my mind. It was an interesting thought that came to my mind. Have you ever witnessed where a team rejoices early because they think they're going to win? Some sport, you know what I mean? They're up by a certain amount, and like, there's no way the team can come back. And what happens is that they start to rejoice early, and the fans leave because they think it's in the bag. It, it, it's, it's already completed. And all of a sudden, a miracle takes place, and the team comes now, and the team defeats them. Well, what happens if we're not led by the Spirit, we won't rejoice early in our victory. Because we're afraid that the enemy is going to pull out a trick in his bag that's going to be able to make us think that God didn't know what was going on. And so we're afraid to rejoice in the midst of the struggle. We're afraid to say, God, I'm going to thank you for this. I don't know how you're going to do this, but one thing I do know is I am victorious now. Not when I get on the other side. I am victorious now. So I'm not going to lie the experiences of the past. I won't allow the experiences of the past or my choices of the past to rob me of celebrating what God is doing right now. Why? Because I'm living by the Spirit. And the goal is then, is to get to a place where I can recognize, someone say this, truth. It's a good word to say. Come on, say that word again. Truth. Tell me the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me, Holy Spirit. And so if it's truth, I can trust it. If it's true, I can trust it. And so what we have to understand is this, is that as we're celebrating Pentecost, understand this, that when Jesus walked on the face of the earth, they were able to trust his presence. And when he said he was leaving, their hearts became troubled. They're like, who is going to defend us from the Romans? Who is going to feed us? Some of them were thinking. <laughs> Let's be honest. They just wanted this miracle worker who can make food for them. Don't give me the spiritual truth. I don't care about that. Just feed my physical appetite. And yet God didn't make that change. God didn't make that seem like he was going to prevent that. No, he continued to feed them. He continued to take care of them. We serve a God that loves us so much that your physical capacities cannot comprehend the depth of the love that he has for you. And so the goal is this. Where are you seated? We must be seated at the table. We must, because throughout scriptures we see at the table, both physically and symbolically, it represents fellowship. It represents faith. Someone say faith. So in order then to understand your faith, you must understand truth in order to understand trust. You must understand faith, then you must understand truth, because I have to have faith in the truth, and therefore I have to trust the faith that I have in the truth of God's word. And so we need the Holy Spirit, because guess what's happening? People are telling you all sorts of lies. They are. They mean well. They really do. Now, I'm serious. They really, really mean well. But until we can interpret his spiritual truth, which is my first point, right, we're not going to be able to even get near the table. So we have a responsibility. If you are saved, if you ask Jesus Christ into your heart, oh, what an amazing day that was. I got to take a praise break for that because when I think about the goodness of Jesus, when I think about the day I accepted Jesus Christ into my life, mm, I get a flashback of that goodness. 
So if you're saved, if, if you know Jesus as your personal Savior, for those who are watching, if you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, the, the question is this, is that you now have to process truth. You have to process truth because Pilate said in John 18, verse 38, he said something profound. Pilate, who worked for the Romans, Pilate, who had Jesus in front of him. Pilate, who, who had the ability to either say, Jesus, thumbs up, you can go, or thumbs down, crucify him. The religious people couldn't do it. You see, see, here's the danger. People talk about the separation of church and state. Let me fix something for you. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. It really doesn't. Biblically, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. What you're really saying is that religion and politics shouldn't sleep together. That's what you're saying. Because what produces corruption? How many of you have ever been involved in something because, man, this is political? I'm talking about sports. This is political, man. There's some favoritism going on here. Or he said, this is religious. And so we use these terms, right? And what we're really saying is that we can't trust the agenda when you mix politics and religion. But there was never meant for it to be separate. How can you influence something if you're separate from it? And so there are people saying, I need truth. But if you separate the truth, listen, only here in the Middle East, that's how they flow. Your religion is your politics. And your politics is your religion. So I don't want anybody to come and say, oh, my gosh, he's mixing that. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. Don't, don't go there. Someone say, don't go there. Stay in truth. Come on. Because it's good for you. It's really, really good for you. It's good medicine. Truth is what our kids need to know. So be their friends if you want to, but tell them truth, for Pete's sake. Be their greatest hero, but tell them truth. Your employer, your employee, tell people the, tell them the truth. Because Pilate said this, what is truth? What is it? And so we're going to answer it today. Is that okay if we answer it today? Okay, so the journey of truth to get people to come to the table where you teach them truth begins like this. So there are, there are three important questions that one must answer. There are three important questions for you to arrive at truth. How many questions? Three. There's probably more, but for my notes, there's three. There's three questions. And so it begins with this. So anyone that you encounter, if you want to teach them truth, if the Holy Spirit leads you, leads you to have a conversation with somebody, and I don't care what that relationship is, but you want to begin the conversation where you're going to actually get to a place of where they're at the table and the Holy Spirit is doing a work. There are three questions. The first one is this. Ready for this? The first question is, is there a God? Is there a God? That's the first question. And so I'm not saying, is there a God intellectually? But is there a God? This is the question that has to deal with the existence of God. So the first question, if we want to arrive at truth, I'm not just talking about something else. If you want to arrive at truth, biblical truth, spiritual truth, you have to be able to answer this question. Is there a God? And we know this is to be a thing, especially in America, because last time I checked, over 70% or 80% of Congress believes there's a God. 
So if they believe there's a God, you know it's going to be higher than that, right? And so the question then becomes, is there a God? And this is the question of the existence of God. Because if there is a God, he is going to then influence my life. You can say there's a God and just have him out in outer space, but that goes against the Bible because the Bible says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so therefore, when you look at nature and you see the creation, it has to make you realize now that there is a creator. And if there's a creator, if there's a God, what does it have to do with my life? So even though I fundamentally believe there is a God, and even though psychologically I believe there's a God, the existence of God, the question becomes, is he relevant in my life? So to arrive at truth, to make a decision that's based on truth, I have to answer this question. Is there a God? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes, there's a God. But 43% of millennials who are known as agnostics. These are people that says, yeah, there there, there probably is a God. Um, But here's what 43% of here, church, if this gets to 51%, we're in trouble. If this gets to 51% of this generation who is saying, okay, let me, let me see, let me give you my my assessment of this. 43% say they don't know. They don't care. But they don't believe that God exists. Now you take someone like that, put them in a place of leadership and give them influence and they don't know truth, our lives are messed up. You can rebuke every devil you want to. You can rebuke every sin you want to. If that person gets into a position of influence and they don't know truth, our lives are messed up. So we have work to do. We have work to do. 43% says they don't know if there is a God. They don't care if there is a God. And they don't even believe God exists. How do you live like that? Mm. So we got work to do. Someone say second question. Second question. Okay, so you believe there's a God this. Here is the other question, though. Um. Has he spoken? Has he spoken? It follows naturally then that if there is a God, and we said yes to that, we affirmed it in the positive. Has he spoken? And this is a question, ready, of divine revelation. So because you are of the spirit, how God communicates to you is critical. And God communicates to you by what we know, it's a, it's a theological word, called divine revelation. Not just general revelation, which when you look at nature, you can realize there's got to be a God. Who else can make the sun rise? Come on. And the sun descend like that. Who can make the world as it is? Come on. There's got to be something. And so part of it is really coming and saying what we do and we communicate is with divine revelation. So look at this now. So when we come together at the table and you tell me God exists, I said, okay, that's awesome. And so now we're going to say, what does God say about this particular matter? What we do is say, has God spoken about that i don't come to my opinion yet not yet i have to ask the question first has god spoken about this particular issue and that's the work 
of divine revelation. And so that's why we need the prophetic. Because the prophetic then is speaking forth what God is saying. That's why you can't handle the prophetic. Come on. That's why we need the prophetic. That's why in Moses' day, when God said to him, anoint the 70, uh, uh, the 70 elders and take what's on you and put it on them, they start to prophesy. And Joshua says, no, no, stop them, Moses. And Moses says, are you out of your mind? Do you think I can lead you all by myself? I wish everybody was prophetic. I wish everybody knew how to hear from God. The Bible says, my sheep knows my voice, and a stranger they will not speak to. They will not listen to. Has God spoken? And then here's the third, and this is where we live. This is the practical part of where we live. The third question is this. Well, how do we know? How do we know God has spoken? How do you know it's not just a pizza you ate? How do you know it's not a bad dream? How do we know that God has spoken? And this is a question of a philosophy called epistemology. A fancy word, but simply just means, how do we know? Epistemology is the investigation of what distinguishes justified belief from opinion. And so as the church, we don't come with opinions. We don't come with opinions. We come with justified belief. We come with truth. In any relationship. In every relationship. You want to come with what? Truth. Why, preacher? What's the big deal about truth? Well, because when you know the truth, you'll be set free. I mean, come on. Free from people's opinions. Come on. Free from debt. Come on, somebody. Free from making poor decisions. You'll be free to be able to think. You'll have a sound mind. Guess what? You'll be free from the devil. From the enemy. And so one of the things that we forget is that we're in a spiritual war. But because of God's grace, most of us only experience spiritual battle. Does that make sense? And so, therefore, we then have to understand we're spiritual beings. And so, therefore, we have to know spiritual truth. So, let me break it down. I heard uh, this message was really good, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is so good for the church. And let me, let me get to this because I'm, I'm, I'm explaining to you. I understand this is Pentecost, but, but if we don't understand the first coming of the Holy Spirit, you won't even know how to live with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to show you what it really means for the Holy Spirit to come. You, this is why. Because the Holy Spirit came for many reasons, right? To lead us into all truth, obviously, right? We're going to get to that. And to confirm what Jesus said, right? But there's something the Holy Spirit came to do. It came to answer the third question. How do we know? How do we know? The Holy Spirit came to answer that question. So as I said earlier, epistemology then is a division of philosophy, which is another word for, for science of wisdom. And it's very important, right, because, because how we know is foundational, ready for this, write this down, to all knowledge. To all knowledge. It's critical, it's vital to know this because we have to understand the content of any particular subject. So in other words, if somebody comes to you and asks you a subject, because you're spirit-filled, you're not intimidated by that question. And if you don't know the answer, you know the one who asked the answer, God. 
And so because you know God exists, you're not intimidated. And because you know he's spoken, what do you do? You go to your word. Come on. And you open up your word and you say, Holy Spirit, speak to me divine revelation. Because I can't give my opinion because the question, come on, is worthy of truth. This is what makes you attractive. This is what makes us get invited to the table. And so we have to understand then that every subject, every subject must find its way, ready for this, not just from a practical perspective. That's good. And that's just, this is where the world messes up because they keep saying it's not relevant, right? And so they throw out traditions and they throw out some traditions and they throw out timeless truth. Because they're saying it's 21st century preacher with your bald head. Come on, make this relevant. And so I start practically, but what the enemy wants to do is to rob us theologically. And so the reason why I start practically is because if you don't have the spirit, I can't go theologically. Come on. And because I love you, I've got to guide you into truth. I want you to come to the table. I want you to be seated because maybe what I'm about to tell you is going to hurt. Because the truth, not me, the truth is going to set you free. And the truth is going to break your traditions. It's going to break your philosophy. It's going to break your experiences. It's going to break the past that you held on to for so long that you thought was truth. It's going to break the trauma. Come on. It's going to break the lies of the enemy. So I've got to start practically, but I'm taking you theologically. And so every subject finds its way back into, is there a God? And if there is a God, how do you know? How do you know? So, so epistemology then, how do we know? How do we really know that we know spiritual truth? Well, there are two views that we hold to. And, and listen to me. These are the front. These are the, the most common way that we engage in conversation, not communication, in conversation. And so many of us, we really don't know each other because the Bible says in that same text I read in, in St. Corinthians, says, who can know you but the spirit in you? So in other words, I can't really know your motives. I, I can look at your behavior, and that's why we talk about judging people. That's all I can go by because I'm not the Holy Spirit. So you can act a certain way and believe something different. And so the danger is if I try to judge your behavior, I run the risk of judging you, and I really don't know you. Except the spirit in you. Come on. So God knows you better than me. So I rest in that. Come on. And so I, I apply value to you because God knows you. It doesn't matter your behavior. I'm not condoning sin. What I'm telling you is I'm acknowledging the creator. And so therefore, we engage in conversation with value, with respect. Why? Because I recognize even though you may not know truth, the truth is God knows you and God values you. And so to not have you sit at my table, to cause you to leave the table because of my offense, that's not godly. But if you leave because of God's word, it's biblical. <laughs> And so sometimes we come so hard at it, and as a pastor, we've got to be really careful that we don't judge people's behavior. We keep preaching to their belief system. 
We, we have to look at their belief system. We do. And so, and so you can tell me you love God, but based on your behavior, it doesn't look like you love God. Oh, I can't do that. What I have to keep doing is hammering at the belief system so that you then will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Come on. And then you would recognize God has spoken about that subject because when you believe it, it becomes conviction. Up until then, it's me just bothering you. But when you see that, oh my goodness, this decision is not good, it becomes a conviction. And you know when you get a conviction, either you're going to do it, come on, or you're not, right? But then you have to answer to God. So the two ways that we look at how people uh, process epistemology or how they know that we know, the number one, ready for this? Ready for this? Someone say, my feelings. (laughs) I just rely on feelings. It just feels good. It just feels right. Right? The tell, T-E-L, a vision is communicating to me how I should feel. It's by design. The marketing people know that. They know they can move your emotions. They know that. By design, they spend billions of dollars. I mean, look at the commercials. Just sing them. And so they want to move you based on your feelings. And so that's the most, that's the most common way. So why do you think, ah, I just feel. The message just, it just feels good. And so therefore it has to be true because my God, my feelings must be correct. And my feelings, you can't tell me how to feel. I just feel this is the right thing to do. I just feel it. But I don't feel it. Well, okay, that's cool. Honor your feel. I'll, I'll do my feeling. I just feel it. And so you're talking to people. And you wonder why we're making no progress because it's all about their feelings. Now, the Bible does address our feelings. It does. But in this point, it is not a good mechanism for spiritual interpretation of truth. The second one, right? This is the good one. Human reason. The, the, this, is, this is the facts. This, this is the facts. These are the ones that says, well, um, it appeals to my human reason. And, and because it appeals to my human reason... And because it seems to make sense to me, um, because of the tell, T-E-L, a vision, um, um, it, it, just, it just seems that my eyes tell me this is what is me. Surely my eyes can't deceive me. And it sounds good to me, so surely my ears can't deceive me. And it smells good, so surely my smell can't deceive me. And I touch it, and, and it, it feels good. So, so this has to be the truth because every one of my five senses are engaged. So how could that be wrong? How can it be wrong? But that's not how we look at spiritual truth. Why, Ro? Because you don't determine truth based on feelings or facts. You determine it by faith. Uh, can, I, can I give you a revelation? You were saved by faith. <laughs> because you felt it. Now, some people could have a great encounter. And because of the fact you heard the message, but you are saved by faith. And write this down. Faith precedes knowledge. So in other words, hear me, church, you have to make decisions without getting all the information. Oh, come on. And the only way to do that is to have the spirit of God inside of you. Because the Holy Spirit is going to lead you to make decisions, to make choices where you don't have all the information. Oh, my goodness, we call that wisdom. And so what you need then 
is faith. We are people of faith. Watch this now. You literally walked in this morning and took a seat and nobody checked the seat to see whether it would hold you. You had faith and trust that Pastor Rowe didn't put a chair there that can't sustain you. But in the spirit realm, which is even more real than the natural, we question everything. I don't know about this decision. And he said, if you could do it in the natural, good God Almighty, how much more in the spiritual? And so when I prayed for you, which is neat because in my notes, I had prayed for you at the end. But God says, oh, no, you're praying for them now because I'm here to tell you what was on me needs to get on you. Listen to me. Listen, listen, listen. I don't know if you've been part of churches where they think that the pastor is all that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about there's an anointing on my life. There is something that God is doing because to get to this church, I had to fight through demons and devils and hell. Come on. I had to go through some spiritual warfare to get this mic in my hand. And the devil is a liar. He will never take the mic out of my mouth again. That's my conviction to you. So this week, the Lord dropped a favor on me. I was like, oh my goodness. I'm talking about an elevation because of faithfulness by living by faith. And I'm here to tell you, listen to me, church. Listen, listen. Oh, I want you to get this by the Spirit of God. There is favor in this house. Come on. There is favor on your life. There is favor. Come on. The flawless conference that Josephine is leading, that God dropped in our spirit. There's a reason why it had to be hosted here. There's a reason why it had to be launched here. Because there's a favor on our life. And I'm telling you, you need to access that favor. Because God has places for you to go. And you can't get there in the natural. If you look at the logic of it, you'll talk yourself out of it. And God is saying, shut your mouth and believe by faith and just sit down and enjoy the blessings of the Lord. Oh, I think you got to give a better shout than that. He is saying, sit down and enjoy the blessing. I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Don't sit because of feeling. Don't sit because of fact. Sit because of faith, knowing that God has a word for you. Gotta hurry because you see, you see the two things. The two things we have to understand is that Paul writes in First Corinthians two verse five. He says, "So that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God." Why are you seated in the power of God? Why are you seated in the power of God? I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So I sit in this position making decisions, not based on knowledge, but based on faith, because faith precedes knowledge. Knowledge is coming, but faith precedes knowledge. And so there's a two thing. When you can answer these three questions, say, Pastor, what happens if I answer these three questions? Come on, ask me, Pastor, what happens? You will be able to first defend the faith. You'll be able to defend the faith. So in other words, what happened in this house, you're going to be able to tell people, my goodness, I was so glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Come on. You are going to get to the house of the Lord. Why? Because there are other people defending the faith with you as well. When you can answer the question, when you can answer the question, is there a God? Has he spoken? And when you can answer that when having spiritual discernment, you'll be able to say, I can now defend the faith. Our kids are leaving because they were never taught the faith. And because the enemy talked them out of it, 
they were never taught the faith. And so if you look at what I said, faith precedes knowledge. When you go to higher academia, what do they talk about? Knowledge. Vain philosophies. The wisdom of this world where Paul writes, we don't rest ourselves in human wisdom. And so they're talked out of their faith. And that's what I'm telling you, parents, I'm telling you right now, the deal is this. Can you defend the faith? If they say, mommy, no, if your co-workers who are believers with you and you go in together, ask them, today we're going to defend the faith. We're going to show up on time. We're going to be the best employees. That's defending the faith. You don't have to go preach. You have to open up your Bible. Be the Bible. Defend the faith. Oh, I'm feeling the Holy Ghost up in this place. Come on. Work hard. Get promotion. Walk in favor. So that when they get religious or political, you can say, no, this is the favor of God, baby. I was just seated in Jesus. And that's why I'm getting promoted. It's not because I'm messing with the boss. It's not because I'm kissing anybody. No, it's the favor of God on my life. And he is elevating me. Until you've experienced the favor of God like that. I've told you before, I worked in foster care. And they brought me before doctors and and, and psychologists and, and philo- all these people. And we're having a conversation about what we should do with this kid. And they will look to me. A Bible school associate degree. Come on. Preacher. And they would say, what do you think we should do? I don't want to hear from all these degree people. Come on. They got knowledge, but you got something better than that. You got wisdom. You know how to make this decision. I'm here to tell you right now, this is for somebody in this house who wants the wisdom of God, who needs the wisdom of God, who is looking after the wisdom of God. Don't you make any decision from now on without the wisdom of God guiding and directing you. You may arrive there on your own strength, but number two, you will not strengthen the faith. So the first thing is to defend the faith. The second thing is to strengthen the faith. And when you make a decision that's in line with the word of God, you strengthen the faith. You give people a reason, come on, of the hope that's within you. I got to hurry. Worship team, come on up. Come on up. Watch this now. So my point was interpreting faith. But I want to do this because this is how it works now practically. Practically. Worship team, come on up. But before you play, I want to really drive this point on. My last point is this. Someone say defend the faith. Someone say strengthen the faith. Okay, so so here's what here's how it works. Here's how it works. So, so now, um, um, you're a believer, right? Yeah, and I'm a believer. Okay, so do you want to defend the faith today or strengthen the faith? Let me know which one you want to do. Okay, I'll strengthen the faith. Okay, I'll defend the faith. All right. And so now he sends them out two by two. Oh, come on. He sends them two by two now. He says he says the two of you you walk in unity. He didn't say one by one. He said two by two, and he says where you're strong, come on, I'll defend. And where you defend, I'll be your strength. And so when they talk about your past, I defend it. Oh, no, 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 no. Come on. The blood of Jesus Christ is against you. I know where they've been, but they got a history with God. Come on. And their past is buried. And after some, when I feel like I'm weak and I feel like nobody's there, you said, I got you now. Just tag me. I will be your strength. Come on. I will reach out my hand and says, come on. Remember the testimonies of God. And so with defending the faith and strengthening the faith, we walk together with wisdom. And so we take terror territory for the king of kings and the lord of lords so how does this work preacher in my daily life after all the preaching and the sweating how does it work we have to examine the cross we have to examine i don't know if we have the picture of where we to get that pumpkin the picture up there of the cross 
Because everything leads back to the cross. How does this work in your daily life? I deny myself, I take up my cross, and I follow him. And so here's how it works. How do I interpret the events of history? And so we, 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 everybody jumped the book of Revelation when COVID broke out. They, they jumped there. And I'm like, before we get to the second coming, let's address the first coming, shall we? Because God knows there's nobody I want to be left behind. If we really believe there's a hell, which there is. If we really believe that there are people, that the enemy has blinded their eyes, we don't want them to come back until everyone knows the gospel message. And so I'm prepared for my exit, but I know why I still exist. Ooh, that's good right there. And I exist to defend the faith that I gave my life for. And I'm strengthening the faith so I can pick up my cross and follow him. Everything must be examined by the cross. Every question, every concern, every fear, every drama, every abuse, every decision you made. Boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, kids, grandkids, you name it. Everything must be examined through the cross. And so here's what it is. You see, when we look at the events of history... Everybody comes with an interpretation. Everybody comes. Because there's no such thing as just uh, the bare facts. No. People will say, just tell me the facts. But there's no such thing as just the bare facts. No. Every fact comes to us interpreted by somebody. If you haven't written it down yet, I'm trying to get this message into you. Tell T-E-L-L. A vision. It's more than just a tube we call the television. It's any means of communication that's going to give you sight that tries to rob your faith. And so interpreting history requires faith in the providence of the God who say he exists. And that he has spoken. I'm trying to make it because, because this is why the Holy Spirit came and so I love this because I got an illustration I thought it was so amazing so here it is I'm going to read it for you because it's too good I don't want you to miss anything and then they're going to sing and then I'm going to be done Um, God is so good that's why he does pray earlier look at God look at God so everyone if you can if you look at the screen and listen at the same time so here's a group of people standing around a Roman cross and I'm quoting now And someone is hanging on it, dying, and they are listening. And they hear the person on the cross who is dying say these words. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So everyone in this building, everyone, come on, don't don't let me lose focus. I want you to look at the cross. It's how easy it is to be distracted. And he says, as long as they don't look to the cross, they can't examine it. Oh, come on. And so we look at the cross and we realize now that, 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 that they're interested. The group of people. 
they hear him say, they hear him say other things like, I thirst, it is finished. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So now they're a little bit more interested. And so now you go over and you speak to a woman and, and she said, and, and you say, what's happening here? And the woman says, well, um, a good, kind man is being crucified by the Romans. That's what she sees. They go, what's happening? What's happening in history? Well, a good man, he's being crucified by the Romans. A good man. Okay, and so he goes on now. And he goes to another person who is dressed in religious robes and, and garments. And he says, what's happening here? Well, um, a blasphemer is being put to death because he blasphemed Jehovah. That's what's happening here. And you go over to, to the one that's a Roman soldier. And he tells you, well, um, an insurrectionist is being put to death. He was trying to overthrow Rome. So you finally now go over to, to a woman who's there and tears are screaming down her face. And you go over to a young man, um, the millennial. You go over to a young man. is uh, 20 years of age or a little bit older than that. Um, and he looks like he wants to run. And you ask, what's happened? Like you ask the other people. And they say, um, with tears running down their face, and the other one wants to run, the question is, that's what's happening. Is there a God? Yes. Has he spoken clearly? So what happened? The Son of God is being crucified for my sin. That's what I see. And so here it is now. Ready for this. They're all looking at the same fact. But they have different interpretation of what they see. And the one who's crying out and saying, God, forgive me of my sins. It's not the facts that are speaking. It's faith that's telling him. This is the son of God who was slain for the sins of the world. That is called spiritual truth. And while you may have your facts correct. It's only the conviction of faith that will make that a reality in your life. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. What is happening right now? It requires the Holy Spirit for you to see the acts of God and to know his ways. God, I wanted to be finished earlier. Because we want to enjoy the soup. But the people with their heads bowed and their eyes closed right now, they have to answer these three questions to defend the faith and to strengthen the faith. But now they got to get to a place of how do I interpret the, the acts of heaven? How do I interpret the acts and the things you've done in history? How do I see it? And I can only see it by faith because the Spirit of God lives in me.
And so I say as they sing for us, Holy Spirit, you are welcomed here. Because you said, Jesus, that the spirit of truth will come and he will guide us to all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you, tell a vision, good God Almighty. What you have heard and what you have seen and what you know. And he will tell you about the future. Yes, read the book of Revelation, but my God, don't read it without the Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here.